So, yeah, come on up, Tara. Sorry, am I? You can hear me? Wonderful. Guess what? The stress has pockets. It <laughs> is. I won't do the pocket dance, it's okay. Good morning, church. Um, I have the pleasure of um, following on from Matt McInnes, who, um, uh, as we look at another passage in Matthew, and didn't he preach well? Um, he's certainly a tough act to follow. And I'm sorry to say that I have no thrill-seeking adventures um, to share with you and to align the Word of God with you today. But can someone tell me, is it an age thing that when a thrilling adventure like hurling yourself out of an aeroplane, plummeting to the ground, is no longer alluring? (laughs) Is it that we worry about how our body will hurt or the injuries that will happen? Or is it wisdom with age? Is the latter? Okay. Otherwise, I'm not too sure how I feel about this aging thing. But anyway, um, I just highly recommend that you listen to Matt's sermon. It was really challenging, not just to think about aging, but also um, to think about how diligent we are at being farmhands and tilling the, preparing the soil for us and those around us. Anyway, back to me. What do I have for you today? Or more likely, what does God have for you today? Um, I will do my spiritual shake the sillies out and just um, start by praying. God, I just thank you um, that we're all able to gather here together today. Thank you for the fellowship that we'll have. But just thank you for the word that you have to share with us today, the way that that you'll feed us with um, your word, your compassion, and your love. And I just pray that... um, you help me slow down and not be frantic and nervous, and um, that'll just be a good time this morning. Amen. Over the um, past term in Children's Church, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus, and one of the um, tools that I found really helpful for um, um, for sharing those stories of the Bible is looking at animations from uh, that the Saddleback Church does. So as Glenn um, prepares to stick that up on screen for us, because the kids are in with us today, we're going to watch one of those. Um, And as we're getting ready, I've got my wee props here. So I've got two tins of tuna, and I've got five loaves of bread. So can anyone guess what we're talking about? (laughs) So hopefully, are we good to go? Awesome. Let's watch um, the clip. Stories of the Bible. Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is Jesus. hey Who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love. He did many miracles and healed people of their sickness. Oh, hey, everyone. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. A crowd started to gather around Jesus. There were 5,000 men and many more women and children. Turning to Philip, he asked, Hey, Philip! Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? 
You see, Jesus was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Um. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Hey, I got an idea. Then Andrew spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus said, tell everyone to sit down. Bye, everyone. Sit down. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and gave them to the people. There you go. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Want some more? I'm all good, thanks. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. You got it. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves and two fish. Um, let's also um, read it from the word as well. But fun fact, did you know that um, this miracle is the only miracle that was mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And um, the animation was from um, John. But today we're looking at a passage in Matthew, which is in Matthew chapter 14, 13 to 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said... They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. The first five words of verse 13 automatically point us to look at the context a little bit deeper. Now when Jesus heard this, heard what? What did he hear that made him withdraw on a boat to a desolate place? or your version of the Bible might say a remote place, a place of solitude, or into the wilderness. At the start of the chapter, Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, had imprisoned John the Baptist, and he was manipulating, manipulated into beheading him. As a side note, one of the trickier things as a children's pastor is to work out how to portray what happened in the Bible without the brutality, the graphicness of it, particularly at Easter. But um, anyway, back to the context. Okay, so John was brutally beheaded, 
and his head was placed on a tray and given as requested to his niece come stepdaughter and then to her mother, the instigator of the beheading. John the Baptist's disciples were able to collect his body and bury it, and then they went to tell Jesus. Now, John and Jesus were second cousins, so they had that familial connection. But John was also Jesus' forerunner, his advocate, sharing with people um, who listened so that he could prepare the way for the Messiah to come. It was also John who baptised Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but you've got people in your life who are advocates for you, champions for you, or that person that you intentionally chose to baptise you, they mean something to you. And so when you hear about their passing, as as Jesus has about John the Baptist, you can just imagine the grief. You can imagine why he's choosing to withdraw. Jesus is withdrawing. The crowds of people, they may not have heard about John the Baptist, they may have, but they're still pursuing him. They're hungry to hear more of what Jesus is teaching. They're hungry to have more of the healing um, miracles that he's been performing. The crowds are not pausing. The crowds are not relenting. And they got wind of where he was going and they pursued him on foot. So this is my first point. It's about compassion. When he went ashore in verse 14... He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed the sick. Question. I've probably already asked you this. But when having to read aloud at school, was anyone taught that if there was a word that you couldn't pronounce, that you just said wheelbarrow instead? (laughs) Yeah? Good. Not just a country school thing? So um, the Greek word for compassion in this text is a wheelbarrow word, if ever I saw one. The phonetic spelling of it makes it sound like like Nidzomahi, but I know I butchered it. Anyway, the meaning of it is moved in the inward parts to feel compassion. Personally, I know that I am driven by feelings, so this spoke to me when I read that. It added another layer of validation um, to the way that I know that I hear from God, those sort of gut-punchy feelings, when I know that God's moving me to reach out to people, that inward feeling of moving towards something. Um, so, so Jesus, he had that inward feeling. Even though he was grieving, he stepped out and he moved towards the crowds. He moved out of compassion. He saw their need for spiritual guidance. He saw their need for physical healings. And he was filled with empathy, he was rich in mercy, and he was moved to love on that crowd. In 2012, the world did not end as the man calendar predicted, but my world was certainly beginning to change. As I was feeling restless and distant from God, and I was not knowing how to pursue his will there for my life. So I decided to finally, after many years of thinking and dreaming and wishing about it, to give YWAM a go, Youth with a Mission. So I applied and I was accepted to go to my DTS in Perth, the Compassion DTS, or Discipleship Training School, as many of you know. I was so excited, this was going to be life-changing. It was going to completely change the 
the trajectory of my life. Maybe um, I could find a husband. You know the old joke, YWAM, young woman after men. Um, and together we would set the world on fire. Or maybe I'll get sent to Africa finally. That's been my dream since I was a nine-year-old girl. Um, and God would just, would just, I would just have that unmistakable knowing that I was in the right place and I was doing the right thing. But a few weeks into the lecture phase in Perth, I soon began to notice that I could strike a lot of those things off the list. Um, in a compassion DTS, it was 23 women, lovely young ladies, and one guy. So <laughs> I could soon see that Prince Charming wasn't really going to appear for me right there. Um, and the, the outreach phase wasn't going to Africa, so I definitely wasn't going to find my place in Africa. But life-changing it was. Life-changing was one thing I could keep on that list. It taught me how to pursue God. It taught me how to pursue him when I was withdrawing from him or when I felt like he was withdrawing from me. One of the verses God gave me to hold on to and to, de and to declare during that time was Psalm 145, 8-9, which I'm sure you all know well. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers his compassion on all his creation. I remember being in a cafe in Perth and it was like a small group time of, of getting together and I just had been sitting with this foreboding feeling for the last few days and all of a sudden it just exploded out into this emotional breakdown in the middle of the cafe with these people I hardly knew. I had to go on a journey day after day in my quiet time, week after week, to... Um, to really pursue God and to understand that foreboding that I was feeling was actually tied to me feeling rejected and feeling like God was angry at me or parents worse than anger, disappointed in me. Let me tell you, being in that place spiritually felt very desolate. It felt remote, it felt lonely, it felt dismal and it felt grim. It was a process that I went through day after day and week after week, as I said, but Jesus was there. He was showering me with his compassion and I went on a lesson to learn that he was not angry with me, he was not disappointed in me, but yet he was just drawing me in. There are people here today that are feeling lost in a place of desolation and you need to know that he sees you, that you move him inwardly and he is filled with unfailing love for you. Even when experiencing grief, he is still showering compassion on us, all his creation, showering compassion on you, making sure that your spiritual needs are met and your physical needs are met. He isn't going to tell you to turn away so that you can fend for yourself. No, he sees your needs and he will feed you. So the disciples are suggesting it's late. Hint, hint, time to go home. Now, guys, and in Matthew, oh, sorry, in Mark and Luke's account of this miracle, they let us know that this, the disciples have just 
a return from their ministry tour, um, where Jesus had sent them out in pairs and given them authority to cast out demons and to um, preach the good news and to heal the sick too. Jesus had also told them to take nothing with them except for their walking stick and the clothes on their back and the shoes on their feet and that they would be provided for on these travels. So as you can imagine, these guys are just itching to share with Jesus all that they did and saw on this journey. Um, I know for me that after serving as an intercessor at the Hemner retreats for the last few years, um, waiting for the debrief at the end of each session, or the big debrief in the Hemner, in the hot pools, is almost the, the best part as you get to share with one another what God has done and how God has used you. <clears throat> So I can imagine the disciples, in suggesting that the crowd move on, of course they're thinking about the people's needs and about their protection because they're in a desolate place and not in the protection of the city. But they're all probably also ready to chill and debrief and have their time with Jesus. My next point is about obedience. Here the disciples are on the back of their trip where they've seen many wondrous things. And they had to rely on God for provision for the time that they were away, for their food, for their shelter, perhaps for new clothes or shoes if they were worn out. Yet Jesus says, yet when Jesus says to them, you feed them, you give them something to eat, talking about this crowd of 5,000, their thoughts aren't like, oh, well, yes, we're serving this God of miracles and we've already just seen so many things of what he's just done. They revert back to the logical. Their answer is like, with what? What are we going to feed all these people with? In um, uh, the other Gospels, it sort of expounds on their sort of logical, like, we don't have the provisions. It's going to take us months to earn all of this money. Like, it's, how are we going to feed these people? It's all that logical thoughts that run through your brain, right? About how do we resource this? And the disciples, like us, are prone to see and think in the natural. But what is supernatural to us is just natural to Jesus. Even though they are clearly blown away by this crazy thought that they can feed 5,000 men, when Jesus said to bring the barley loaves and the fish to him, they obeyed. You see, obedience paves the way for great things. Can I ask, what is it that you're hungry for? What are you following Jesus into the wilderness for? What are you crying out for? Are you in a desolate place in the wilderness, crying out for direction and guidance? Are you feeling spiritually dry and separated from God? Crying out for his comfort and his compassion? Are you in need of physical healing? Or healing of relationships? Healing in your marriage? Healing over your finances? Or are you in hope? Hope over your singleness? Hope over friendships? Or diminishing loneliness. Hope for friends to be placed around you. Hope for your friends, family, neighbours, 
children, grandchildren, to know Jesus like you do and to see that they know that they are showered in his compassion. What are you hungry for? Maybe you are surrounded in fear, doubt and unbelief and want to exchange that for hope, faith and courage. Or perhaps you are hungry to see the blind, to see blind eyes open and to see the captives set free, to disciple those around you, to know how to disciple those around you who are hungering after Jesus. What are you hungry for? next point is that Jesus asks us to bring him all that we have. In John 6, it tells us that it was the boy, and as we saw in the animation, it was the boy who gave all he had. And the fact that it was barley loaves suggests that he was poor economically, as barley loaves in the commentaries that I've read were food for the poor, or commoners' food. So you can imagine this wee boy is really giving all that he had. On my DTS, another big point of learning, and it was sort of boiled down to a phrase, was to do the possible so that God could do the impossible. This was driven in when we were preparing to go for our outreach, a 12-week phase, where we were going to other countries. A lot of us who had come on this DTS and had probably come with, I guess, our different cravings of what we were hungry for there, We didn't quite have all the provision, the financial provision that we needed to do this. I know that I personally did not have enough money. I'd gone with a flight to Perth and for the um, outreach phase, but I hadn't gone with enough finances to go um, on the out... Oh, sorry, on the the lecture phase. I hadn't gone with enough to go on the outreach phase, let alone thinking about how to get back home to Christchurch as well. Um, So... In my outreach, I was going to Nepal, China, and then back to Perth. And Perth, being so isolated, is definitely not a cheap city to fly in and out of. Do the possible, Tara, so that God could do the impossible. Do walkathons, asking for sponsors. Do sausage sizzles, bake sales. Pray fast. Humble yourself and ask people for support. Send out emails, social media posts. Do the possible so that he could do the impossible. Praise Jesus that I saw that happen. I did those things and I saw the finances come in and I saw more than enough come in that I was able to bless others with it too. It trickled and then it poured. Jesus uses other people to be a part of the blessing. He encouraged the disciples to be the ones to find the food, to feed the multitudes. He, and he used others to bless me in that situation. As I was researching for today, I came across this quote. The little bit of faith you have is enough to give birth to a miracle. It doesn't matter what your possible looks like. And it doesn't matter what state your possible is in. Your possible compared to my possible is going to look very different. Jesus just asks that we bring what we have. We don't need to clean before the cleaners come, so to speak. 
to think, oh, I need to be more spiritual before I ask God for this, or to think that I could lead a connect group or disciple my friends. You don't need to have a finer house or finer things to be more hospitable. Whatever it is that you think you need to have your ducks in a row, stop. Bring what you have now. In the text, we see Jesus brought what was offered before God. He blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples to distribute it. Do you ever wonder what it would have looked like to be there, watching Jesus break the loaf? Oh, I'm on vacuuming after church, obviously. <laughs> and then going, they could turn around and then go back for more, almost like a glitch in the matrix is how I imagine it. And then at what point does he move on from this loaf to that loaf to, to the next loaf? Anyway, just the old mind's eye thinking. He takes our not enough and turns it into more than enough. 5,000 men plus women and children were not just fed, but they were satisfied, it says in the text, on what was given to them. So much so that there were leftovers. And not just leftovers of bits that people would eat, but said leftover of the broken pieces that Jesus was breaking. My final point is, where did the leftovers go? How should we respond when Jesus meets us with more than enough, when we have that overflow? It doesn't say explicitly what happens to the leftovers other than that they get put into 12 baskets. And the commentaries that I read suggest that the baskets were, I guess, uh, like a traveler's size, and that the food would have been distributed to the poor in the surrounding areas. In the overflow of your blessing from Jesus, let nothing be wasted. Share your blessing with others. However that looks, is it a testimony of what he has done? Is it praying for healing? Is it sharing the good news? You will know what that looks like for you in the overflow of your blessing. Someone I know from Oxford was um, received healing over her eyesight. She was playing um, at a worship night out at Oxford and just had this sudden urge to go up and get prayed for healing. And um, so she stopped playing the keys and then um, joined in the altar call and got um, prayer for lots of different things and breakthrough. And then her eyesight was healed. She no longer needed glasses. And when she worked that out, she just immediately had to testify. And then she was able to pray for other people around. And there were people who prayed for healing and there was at least one other person who had healing for their eyesight that night. Be blessed, be a blessing. Let nothing be wasted. Jesus is more than enough. So what are you doing with the overflow of what you have? Can the band please come up? There's a bit to digest here. Excuse the pun. But um, as Amy and the team lead us in this last song, take time to contemplate and chat with God. What is it that you are hungry for? What is the little that you have that you could bring to Jesus? Maybe you have... um, Oh, sorry. That's written for when I plan something else. I'll go off the the book. Um, Yeah. What is it that you're hungry for? What is the little that you can bring to Jesus? Um, Over here at the side, 
in my head I thought we had a big cross here, but we don't, so hence the little cross. And there's pens and papers, and so maybe you might like to come and and write down um, what you have or what you're hungry for and place it in the hands of Jesus or put it at the foot of the cross. There's a basket to the side where you can pop those things in. Um, that space just in there will be for that and for you to contemplate. We won't um, be doing ministry just over in that space there. But over here, if you're hungry for healing, for physical healing, for healing of your marriages, finances, whatever it is, wanting hope, wanting um, us to partner with you as you seek to move out, move out of the desolate place, well... Mm. Um, faith needs an action so what's your action going to be today it might be writing down it might be just coming up here and letting us partner with you there's a a team of people who are very happy to pray with you I'm one of them let's close in prayer Father, we just thank you that you are our provider, that you sent Jesus to be our advocate, that he can just gather together our broken offerings and bring us before you to bless us. Thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for the way that you shower your mercy, your grace, and your compassion over us, that you are slow to anger. Just rich with unfailing love. Lord, show us if we're in this in a place of desolation, Lord. Show us what we're hungry for. Show us the offerings that we have that we can just give to you, Father. And we just place them in our hands and hand them over to you. Bless that, Lord. Thank you for your blessing. Amen.